Hi, I'm Louise Gardner, founder and managing director of Pledge Consulting, and I'd like to welcome you to episode three of the PMO and Project Leadership podcast. We're going to be continuing our look back on the PMO Leadership Symposium from last August, and today we're going to hear from Will Thompson. Will's the Agile Transformation Lead at Victoria University, and he's going to talk a lot about the practical aspects of doing an Agile transformation in a pandemic. We had some great questions and some great conversation based on Will's presentation. So without further ado, here's Will Thompson. So I want to try to take you back to a moment in time in early March 2020, before the first lockdown measures that if you can work from home, you must work from home, had been announced in Australia. I don't think that any of us could have anticipated the enormous change that was going to impact so many of our industries during this year. We've seen reduced revenue, jobs uncertainty, and difficult decisions around where cost savings can be made. The photos on the screen show a situation that has come to represent our new normal, particularly in Victoria, where we're currently in the middle of a second forced lockdown, this time to stage four. For us, at least, 2020 has become characterised by empty streets, people wearing masks, office buildings deserted, and trains and buses with no passengers. Even our favourite coffee shops are limited to takeout only. No one would ever have guessed that this is what would come to define our 2020 and our lives. And hopefully for some of you today who aren't in Victoria, it's been much less severe. But I don't think that any of us could deny the pandemic has created new challenges and opportunities as well for our businesses. And yeah, so my focus today is going to be on how we can take some of the lessons that we've learned during 2020 and leverage them. So my name is Will Thompson and I'm currently leading the Agile Transformation at Victoria University. Our programs tasked with transforming our ways of working across the technology functions and into the wider business by introducing a new way of working together focused on collaboration and innovation. I can vividly remember sitting in a meeting room with our program team in early March and planning and speculating a little bit about what the potential impact of the coronavirus could be. Our original assumption was that any disruption to our ways of working and forced remote working would be likely to last approximately four weeks and we began to put measures in place to transition our agile delivery approach into 100% remote working. Five months later, and we've still not been back to the office. So starting in quarter four last year, we began to implement a hybrid scaled agile framework model with aspects of Kanban and Lean thrown in there as well. I'm not gonna go into the details of our model or our methodology today, But one key point that we have had is that it's centered around people working together in an intensely social, physical working environment, which I think is a point that Neil's just touched on, really. So we've rolled out this new way of working across multiple squads, multiple value streams, setting up these groups of people who work collaboratively together. And then all of a sudden, overnight, COVID-19 forced us to transform away from this on-site team-based working model into being a geographically dispersed group of individuals who are all working remotely. Some of the photos you can see just on the screen there show, you know, our way of working pre-lockdown and pre-remote was really, really sociable, but it's transitioned overnight. So we're effectively in a position now where some of our key ways of working had to change massively. You know, we had no more physical Kanban boards, no more sticky notes on walls, uh, no more face-to-face stand-ups, no more big room program increment planning sessions or business showcases and retrospectives with coffees and pizzas and all the nice things that we were doing. 
But despite that challenge, we still had a requirement to keep delivering value to some high-priority, time-critical projects that were using cross-functional teams from across IT who were now going to be completely working remotely. So obviously, it's a significant challenge, but I'm happy to say five months later, we've still not gone back to the office, but we've managed to adapt effectively, and we're continuing to deliver value for our business and for our teams. So the quotes on the screen there, things that happen are of no importance, but from everything that happens, there's a lesson to be learned. It's actually a quote by an American author, John Steinbeck, but I think it's quite appropriate to the position we found ourselves in. So I'm not trying to say that the domestic or the global implications of COVID-19 are insignificant or unimportant, you know, absolutely the opposite of that. What I am trying to say is that the most important thing we can do is take our key realizations and learnings from the experience and try to embed them in our future actions so that we can really learn from them and take their benefits. So what I'm going to do this morning is try to focus on some of our key lessons that we've learned over the last five or so months at Victoria University and try to understand how we can apply them to digital transformations going forward. What we want to do is try to take our learnings and help them to use us, use them rather to help us um, generate future success, regardless of the external pressures and constraints that we might come, come up against in some of our industries. So hopefully, fingers crossed, some of our lessons will have relevance to your organizations too. So the first thing that I want to talk about really is about the importance of reconnecting with your vision. Despite the, the clear pressures and the chaotic environment that COVID-19 catapulted us into, we tried not to be led by reactivity. And instead, we tried to use the opportunity to reconnect with our core purpose as an IT department. So we used the, the changes and the pressures that we were under as a trigger to review our departmental vision and refocus energy on the culture that we wanted to create. And the key realization that we had here was that our goal with the new ways of working and with our agile transformation it wasn't to create more efficient teams or more effective teams who could do more with less. It was to create happier, more motivated and more engaged teams. Our leadership group had a firm belief that if we could generate a truly positive working culture, wider successes would follow naturally. So that's where our focus became. So what we did in March, once we were all catapulted into this remote working, was we ran a series of workshops with our senior leadership team to focus on creating a vision and a set of principles for our department going forward. The idea of this really was to give a really clear direction that all of our employees could get behind and to make it transparent, give everyone visibility so that it's clear that we were on the journey together. The vision that we came up with was to spark inspiration, confidence and empowerment in every employee. And this is what we perceived to be our ultimate goal if we were going to create a long-lasting, well-established team of the future within our IT department. So the outcome of that and what you can see on the screen in terms of some of those key principles was really that we took a people-centric approach to transitioning our workforce to completely remote working. So some of the principles that you know we really focused on were around empowerment, engagement and collaboration. And it meant that our overall direction was about how can we best maintain staff morale during this difficult time rather than looking at how can we stop disruptions to some of our high profile projects or anything like that. It was how can we keep our staff engaged and happy, wanting to work for our organization, you know, during the tough times that we were in. 
I think the most important thing around our vision was we realized how important it is to be authentic. So we communicated the vision and the principles that we'd worked on as a leadership team really widely to all of our employees. And then we tried to act in a way every day that backs that up. Some examples of this would be, you know, we had to hugely increase the flexibility for staff to take leave or change their working hours. A lot of our staff overnight, you know, had extra kids at home that they had to homeschool and look after. Obviously, the, the situation's been quite severe in Victoria. So we really tried to just make the working arrangements as flexible as possible for all of our staff so that they could stay engaged in the teams and keep adding value. So the, the next key lesson that we've learned was start from where you are. And this is a, a Kanban principle that we took as one of our core motivations when transitioning our agile working model into 100% remote operation. At Victoria University, to be honest, the scale of our transformation was significant. We're a fairly bureaucratic, traditional organization with a firm hierarchy, and some of our processes and governance can feel you know, quite extreme at times as, as a public organization. The flexibility of starting from where you are allowed us to overlay change gradually over our existing workflows, systems, and processes without disrupting things that were being done well. So what this really did was minimize disruption to our staff and it minimized the change resistance that we experienced too. It prevented us from creating a massive culture shock with a big bang approach to, you know, you hear some organizations say we're going agile, everyone has to reapply for their jobs, you know, no, no jobs exist anymore, um, new, new job descriptions and roles for everyone. We tried to avoid that and do it more of an incremental approach, really. So I think that, you know, what one thing that we've seen is that, you know, COVID-19, and Neil spoke about this, was the, it, it's really leveled the playing field in terms of cultural organizational views towards remote working. You know, your, your ability to allow your staff to be flexible and remote isn't really a choice anymore, at least in Victoria. It's something that's been forced on organizations. So the organizations that have adapted best are the ones that were already set up well for remote working and they already had flexible arrangements in place. But I think that going forward, you know, all organizations are going to move towards likely an operating model, which is less centered on attending a physical office or location, at least for a certain percentage of staff's time. So what we tried to do here, we were probably people who fell into the category of we had some flexible working in place. You know, most of our staff had laptops. We used technology that would enable people to work remotely. So we used the uh, approach of start from where you are. And what we tried to do was focus on what concepts do we already have in place that can contribute to, you know, a, a positive experience for remote working. So the key thing that we did was started to expand our agile rituals out to much more teams. So concepts like daily stand-ups and using JIRA to visualize work, they complement remote working really, really well. So we were able to continue to roll those processes out and use the agile rituals to give some structure and anchor points really in our team's working days. This has helped us to keep productivity and collaboration up, despite the fact that you know we're all scattered all across Greater Melbourne right now. So the, the overall outcome's been, you know, we've been able to adapt to remote working quickly and I think pretty well. And at the same time, we've been able to increase the familiarity of a lot of our staff with the key concepts within our agile transformation. So the next lesson was identify your technology best fit. 
And I think that, you know, we're probably going to hear more about this today, but technology has and must play a huge role in enabling us to adapt to the new normal and particularly in successfully transitioning our, remote, our working model to fully remote settings. On the screen there, I've tried to represent some of the different products that we've utilized on our journey so far to maintain a focus on collaboration and communication. Most important thing I think that we've learned is that we need to accept that we're not always going to get it right first time. You know, technology and platforms are, you know, notoriously you can have issues with them. You're going to, it's not always going to run completely smoothly. And we've tried to take the mindset that we continue reviewing what's out there in the market and look at which options are available to find the, the optimum fit for our company. An example of this is really around our video conferencing technology that we use for program increment planning days. So basically on our PI planning days, we, we tend to have 60 to 80 members of staff from both IT and the business. So everyone who's involved in a single value stream working collaboratively for a whole day together to define the program and delivery roadmap for the next six sprints, which is a period of 12 weeks. On our first, the first time that we took the PI planning session to completely remote, in April this year, we used our default company product, which is WebEx, for, for our video conferencing. And to be honest, unfortunately, it was a really poor experience. It didn't really adapt well to an interactive forum with so many participants. So we tried to learn from that. And for the second virtual PI planning event, we moved to Zoom and we used breakout rooms for each individual squad to enable them to break out into a smaller group and work on their detailed planning. Overall, it gave us a much better outcome. We received lots of positive feedback from both business stakeholders and our staff and teams were involved. So it really just taught us, you know, don't, don't worry if you don't get it right first time with technology. Keep looking and seeing what's out there and adapting and, and seeing how it can best give you, your teams the experience that you're looking for. Another thing we've learned in the space of technology is that it can be important to not just have a good grasp of which platforms or products are best going to suit you the needs of your organization, but also to have a, a bit of a playbook or a social contract in how you use them. An example of this would be something that we describe as our Zoom 101, which is something that we basically encourage our squads to practice for all of their agile rituals. It basically represents a social contract around how we intend Zoom to be used. And it includes just some simple things like uh, participants having their cameras activated if possible, and um, you know, waiting their turn to, to speak, not all kind of speaking over each other, and, and just trying to use the technology in a way that you know enables effective collaboration. We found that it makes a huge difference because it basically sets an expected standard by which all of our different squads and teams use Zoom. And yeah, it's been, been positive for us to just set those expectations and help people to, to get the best experience from the technology. So when, when I was having a bit of a, a read of the summaries of different talks today, I was really pleased to see that emotional intelligence is a big topic of focus. I think that, you know, right now it's more important than ever. I think that we need to recognize, you know, in our industries, the strain that the COVID-19 crisis is taking on people's mental health or can, can take on people's mental health. Uh, you know, you've got people probably in your organizations and in the wider sector that you work in who are dealing with uncertainty right now. You know, there's economic insecurity, 
people have loneliness and additional pressures, even with caring duties at home. All in all, it makes a bit of a, a melting pot of you know difficult circumstances for people to be doing their jobs. So I think within this climate, it's important for us to remain you know extra aware and vigilant, really, that everyone's under more pressure than usual and probably has additional stresses at home on top of the you know the demands in their job. So one of the key things that we've tried to do in this space is really use it to promote psychological safety as part of our training and coaching around emotional intelligence for our staff. So we regularly use the opportunity to speak to teams about the expectation that psychological safety is always practiced in all of our meetings and all of our engagements. And the goal of that is to ensure that all of our team members feel accepted and respected due to the common understanding that they can share their views, thoughts and opinions on the work that's being done freely. You know, they don't have to worry about any fear of negative reflection on their self-image, their status, their prospects, if they're sharing a view. Obviously, the views have got to be on the work. You know, we're not encouraging people to go out there and start telling everyone exactly what they think of each other. But it's, it's really positive to set that tone of psychological safety within your teams. And it means that you can have honest, truthful discussions. We actually encourage our teams now to go a step further, particularly in the retrospectives and stuff like that. And we encourage them to practice radical honesty, which is basically, you know, say it like it is. If it's anything to do with the work, we need to be honest with each other. We need to, you know, focus on being transparent and, and giving the opportunity to work better together next time. Something else that we've done in this space is we've really tried to take the opportunity during COVID-19 to reconnect with all of our scrum masters and team coaches around how motivation levels are tracking within their squads on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that you know our scrum masters in particular have really stepped up to the job and they've taken on an additional kind of aspect of the servant leadership role by supporting the teams they work with emotionally to some extent as well as professionally. So this just includes little things like regular check-ins with their teams, you know, the whole kind of are you okay focus and just providing extra flexibility if it's needed to improve the work-life balance. And overall, this is something that, you know, the Scrum Masters have really taken on board, done a great job with, and it's created a more positive culture within the squads that they're responsible for. We've also focused on doing virtual celebrations, which I think is an idea that was touched on in some of the, the retrospective feedback we had earlier. This is something that, you know, I'd really encourage. It sounds kind of strange at first, but, you know, if we have to accept this is how we're going to be working for a period of time, it's a really good opportunity to still get together and celebrate. So something that we do at the end of each programme increment is we get together and we do something called an Agile Oscars, where we recognise outstanding performances by individuals or teams during that 12-week period of a PI. When we were all on site, you know, we'd have nice meetings with wine and beers and pizzas and stuff like that to do these kind of celebrations. But now we do it over Zoom and we still get the opportunity to get the same outcome. You know, we recognize people for their great, um, great work that they've done. And we really just thank them and demonstrate some gratitude. I think that, you know, overall going forward, the, the extra importance of emotional intelligence is something that we in Victoria University want to really place front and centre in our cultural fabric going forward so that our staff all feel supported and valued and part of, you know, something bigger than just a team or a workplace. 
So <clears throat> the next uh, lesson that I'm going to focus on is around intelligent disobedience. And intelligent disobedience is a concept of knowing how to do right when what you are told to do is wrong. And it sounds like a strange concept. Basically, it comes from the training of service dogs from the blind. So these dogs are trained to follow their owners every single command, except if it would put the owner in danger. So if the owner gives a command that could put them at risk of harm, the guide dog will disobey it every single time. And this level of intelligence and insight is really hard to train into the dogs. But once they've mastered it, it can mean the difference between life and death for the owner. I think that it can be a really useful metaphor for organizations, you know, to build a, a culture where staff are empowered and even encouraged to exercise intelligent disobedience if the situation justifies it. We believe that it's much better for our staff to think outside the box rather than just to blindly follow processes or governance. And I think that COVID-19, you know, exacerbates that situation and makes it more relevant than ever to start to challenge things that they think is uh, not, not valuable. So, yeah, it's a big part, part of the, the culture that we're trying to create, just encouraging our staff and our teams to challenge the status quo. And we hope that's what's going to enable our organization to innovate effectively and remain competitive, you know, in these new times, in the new normal that we're all talking about. So during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of examples of this where some of our previous processes and ways of working weren't really suited to the new working environment. So we encourage our staff to bring these processes to the surface so that they can be reviewed and rationalized. And, you know, this is what helps us to, to continuously improve. I think overall, if we can create an inquisitive mindset in our teams, it's the best way for us to continue to adapt and change when we've got all of these increasing uncertainties in our sectors. That's something that we try to leverage through the structure of, of, of um, intelligent disobedience. So the, the last lesson uh, that I'm going to talk about today is just around acting on feedback. I think that, you know, as I've mentioned, we've, we've re we really do have some transformative changes underway at Victoria University around our new way of working. But one thing we've tried to do is pitch them to our staff and to our teams as being experimental. And we've urged all of our teams to provide feedback regularly. We try to be honest about our inability to get things perfect first time. And instead, we choose to follow a process of small incremental changes and improvements which are guided by a constant feedback loop from our teams. This has been really positive so far, and it's helped us to minimize change resistance. You know, we've encouraged people to embrace the experimental mindset and come on the journey with us. And we invite them to help, help shape it through the feedback that they provide. So examples of this that we've put in place, particularly since we've moved into 100% remote working, have been regular sentiment surveys and temperature checks at the end of each program increment. So we basically have interactive surveys that we go out to each of the squads with within a value stream, and we use them to help monitor the staff sentiment and motivation levels and help us identify areas where extra support's needed or where people are potentially struggling. It effectively you know, provides our temperature check as to are we getting the right impact for our people from this agile transformation? As I mentioned, you know, the, our culture and developing a positive culture is our number one priority. So sentiment surveys are something that we use to regularly check in with that and make sure that we're not going off track. 
We also do something called comments, compliments, or complaints, where it's basically a completely open forum for staff, particularly in our PMO, to share their perspectives around agile transformation or ideas for change. So it's basically just a, an open playing book for people to, you know, give their feedback. I think that, you know, it's great to, to ask staff for feedback and opinions, but asking alone isn't enough to build shared ownership. So what we try to do is make sure that we regularly act on feedback and are seen to be acting on feedback, particularly if the same points are being raised by multiple sources. So an example of this is going back to, I mentioned about our program increment planning days. We used to do it over one extreme day. It was a pretty long day, you know, kind of nine hours of people working together and you'd come out with the roadmaps for each squad at the end of it. We got a lot of feedback that, you know, people found it difficult to engage for such a long time. So we took it on board and we split it into two consecutive mornings instead of taking up a full day in people's diaries, which has been really effective. You know, people have feedbacks improved and we're still getting the results that we need from the PI planning itself. So I think that, you know, listening effectively to our teams is something that we can take on board. Um, it sounds like, you know, a lot of organizations are, are, are agreeing with that. And hopefully even when the dust settles, we can keep these regular feedback loops in place to give us a structure to, to listen to our staff and to touch base with them. So, uh, yeah, just to, to finish off, really, what comes next? I think this is the, the golden question. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to try to stare into a crystal ball and predict the date that you can book your next flight to Bali or wherever you want to go on holiday. Um, but I think that one thing that 2020 has reminded us of more than anything else is that we need to expect the unexpected. You know, we can plan and analyze and strategize until the sun goes down, but we can still have a major event that comes in and completely blindsides our sector or industry and forces us to make changes quickly to survive. I'm personally optimistic for the future, really grateful to live in a country that has dealt with the pandemic comparatively well on a global scale. But I think that we need to accept that our old normal might be a distant memory, or at the very least, it might take some time for us to return to. So I think the important thing is that we remain focused on the lessons that we've learned during this time, and we keep these new perspectives that we've developed at the front of our minds and at the heart of our organisational culture going forward. Uh, yeah, so it's been great to, to speak to you all this morning about some of our key learnings and uh, welcome any, any questions. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Will. Fantastic. Yeah, that was really great. So many uh, lessons to to take out of that, I think. Um, and I'm happy to take uh, questions from the floor, of course. Um, but I might kick us off if that's all right, because I'd really, there's two things I really want to know more about. First of all, please tell us about the Agile Oscars. Uh, Neil <laughs> touched on celebrations before, and I, you know, I was keen to ask him, um, but how do you do that effectively as a, as a group? Tell, tell us what you're doing. So, yeah, it, it's something that we brought in at the back end of last year, working closely with my colleague, Sam Rickard, who's our Agile coach. He's on the conference today as well. So feel free to reach out to him. But it was an idea that we had. We basically wanted to recognise, you know, the great work done by individuals and by squads in a way that was democratic and, you know, went to kind of the, the Agile mindset, really. So we created a number of categories. There's about five categories in the Agile Oscars. And we basically share the different categories with everyone in advance. We get votes. And then on the day, 
we present it like an award ceremony. You know, it's not quite as glitzy as the Agile Award, as the Academy Awards, rather. But, um, you know, we get some beers, some champagne. We'd all get in a room together and some pizzas and stuff. And, and yeah, present people and, you know, take the opportunity as an overall group to recognise the great work that people have done and celebrate it. And, you know, you do that every quarter. It really helps keep people's motivation levels up. So transitioning into a work, uh, remote working has been, you know, a bit strange, but we're still getting the, the impact we want. You know, we've been uh, sending out virtual uh, certificates. You know, we send gift vouchers and stuff like that. It's just a small point, but I think it, it really just takes uh, an opportunity to show your gratitude and thank the teams that you're working with. Yeah, great. Sounds, sounds really good. Um, anybody else have any questions for, for Jonathan? If you just... Um message in, in the chat I will enable your microphone if you're not enabled already um, I've got another question while we're waiting for people to, to ask um, you talked you used some really um, emotive word, words there for me around the culture of the organization and moving the organization on you talked about empowerment and engagement and communication can you tell us a little bit about the journey so um, I think you were working on some of those things before the pandemic but can you talk a little bit about how that journey has gone on um, in these kind of disrupted ways of, of working yeah I think that you know you're right we we had the some of the focal points prior to the pandemic kicking in you know we, we always knew that we wanted to create a positive working culture but I think that what we've used the pandemic to do is to formalize a lot of it so those workshops that I mentioned with our senior leadership team within ITS, you know, that's all been post-pandemic. Um, so they've all been conducted virtually over Zoom. But basically, we wanted to get the, the vision and the guiding principles down on paper so that we could share them out with all of the, the squads and teams who were involved. So, yeah, it, it, we just really used it as a trigger point to, to formalise some of the, the ideas that we already had and to share them really broadly with our teams so that everyone knows the direction we're heading in and we can hopefully get that shared ownership that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds great. Sounds like you are, you're doing all the right things. Um, Peter has a, a question for you as well. Let me just unmute him and I'll... Will you there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, question is, I guess, around um, change management. If you think of spectrum of people that are su supportive of change and some people neutral and some people uh, towards the, the more negative or, or apathetic end. So what, what are some of the um, techniques that you've used for those people that are at the more apathetic and, and sort of negative and, and challenged end that you found that have worked well? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and it's one that's very close to my heart right now because we're experiencing a couple of um, you know elements of change resistance at the moment, which you'd always expect. We we have a, a really diverse uh, IT department. Some people who have come on board, you know, relatively recently, and some people who've been at the company for you know twenty years or more. And sometimes it's people who've been around for a long period of time who are a bit more change resistant and aren't necessarily as keen to, to get on board. We basically focus on our number one goal is on trying to understand where the change resistance is coming from and trying to, you know, engage with the people who are resistant to some extent to understand their perspectives. And, you know, if they've got alternatives, they propose we're all ears, you know, we want to listen to them. Um, I don't think we've ever tried, our agile transformation hasn't really been a top-down approach. 
it started off very much as bottom up, you know, a couple of aspects of pilots being led and proof of concepts being done effectively rather than, you know, something that's been led by our executive director saying, you must do this, you must go agile. So I think that that kind of grassroots focus, uh, you know, enables us to um, minimize change resistance. But we kind of work with a change manager who follows all the, the ADCAR type principles as well. So, you know, it's good to have that structure in place, trying to give people awareness and get them on board and then, you know, gradually build their level of engagement with the train, with the, with the new way of working so that hopefully you can, you know, get their support and build them as advocates for the change rather than resistance. But it's something that we, we do have to deal with, um, you know, occasionally. Overall, I've got to say, our, our teams have been so supportive and, you know, our feedback's been really positive. So that's been... Good. Great, thank you. Uh, we've got a we've got a question from uh, Monica. Monica, would you like to ask Will your question? Uh, yeah, hi everyone. Thanks, Will. Uh, we're going through a, an organisational restructure at the uh, it's uh, appearing um, on the horizon at the moment. So I've got a lot of um, anxiousness amongst the team around um, future function and and employment. And you mentioned sentiment surveys, and I'm curious on hearing more about that uh, and how I can get uh, feedback from the team that's honest. Yep, um, sure. And, and including my leadership um, in this COVID space um, with this additional uh, stress around restructure. Yep. Yeah, I think that, you know, we we were coming at it from probably the same angle as yourselves, trying to understand how all of our staff were reacting to the changes that took place. So what we actually did was we had a, an, an all of departmental survey done in 2019 that was very focused on sentiments. We basically used those questions as a baseline and then set up um, surveys using Qualtrics, which is a, you know, online um survey tool effectively and yet at the end of each pi we go out with the key questions to all of our staff so you know everyone from the developers testers who are working within the squads right way up to our directors and the stakeholders who are involved from the business as well we basically just try to map their sentiments so it's all done um numerically so it provides us with that um quantitative um you know feedback and that, the feedback that we get from the sentiment surveys then drives our KPIs as on a, you know, the transformation as a whole. So it gives us a good objective way of you know, monitoring how, how we're doing, particularly from a cultural perspective, understanding you know, some of our questions might be things like, you know, how, how proud are you to work for the organization? Or do you still see yourself working for our department in five years? You know, what, what kind of training and development opportunities do you think there are so it's very much driven on we want to invest in our teams and create a well-established team who's going to be with us for, for a long time rather than just kind of taking that a short-termist approach of you know chewing people up and spitting them out really um so yeah the, the sentiment surveys has just been a good structure for us to make sure that we're on track great Th thanks will um uh, question from uh, Michael Michael Alacqua. Uh, let me just you should you should be able oh, to yeah. right now. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so, Will, with how are you managing? What tools are you using to manage uh, business resources across 
the various projects and squads. So I, you know, I, I understand with you know with agile, you, you know, you're at the squads and everything else. So you've generally got a good portion of the resources dedicated within that area. But then you have resources that you need to borrow from from the business. So how how are you managing the the um, the, the the capacity on those resources who are potentially already stretched, working from home, um, et cetera, and taking on, you know, greater workload. Um, yes, yeah, so how are you managing that, that environment? How does that blend? How are you blending the, the, the agile mindset with the actual BAU resources that also need to be involved? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good question and it's certainly a challenge that we had long before, uh, you know, the switch to remote working. I think that you're right in that maybe the fact that people, you know, these business resources have now got extra pressures on themselves at home as well. That's definitely true. Basically, what we try to do is just be as transparent as we possibly can be with the stakeholders and the business leads for each value stream. So we'll make very clear to them what our requirements are if we're going to deliver the project. You know, we've tried to move away from uh, an old school view, which we definitely had at Victoria University, which was, you know, IT is some kind of black box function and the business can just funnel requirements in and we'll do these beautiful solutions, you know, for them with no uh, engagement during the project itself. You know, we've kind of made it very clear that that's not something that is effective and that we do need that ongoing business participation, particularly from, you know, in, when you're running um, a scrum type based delivery model for some of the squads, we need the business to take on the role of the product owner in prioritizing the work and, you know, confirming where the most high value areas are for us to go after. So we just are really transparent with the business stakeholders and the resource leads in the business around what we need if we're going to succeed in a certain time frame. Obviously, if they don't have those levels of resources, we have to replan and we maybe some of the work's going to flow out a bit in terms of timescales if we don't have them on board. But I think that it goes back to that concept I mentioned of radical honesty. We try to practice that with absolutely every contact we have in the business. You know, we say to our stakeholders and our sponsors, this is what we need from you if we're going to succeed. And as a rule, they've been really receptive to that. But we have certainly seen some challenges during the, the move to remote working of people being less available than they were previously, people in the business. And we, we manage that on a case-by-case basis. Thanks, Will. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Will. Good question, Michael. Um, any last questions for, for Will? We could sneak one more in if anybody has one. But if nobody does, we're going to continue to talk about um, Agile in the next session as well. So um, we'll finish there. Will, excellent presentation. Thank you. Some really thought-provoking stuff there. Um, and, yeah, some different elements to some of the things that Neil was talking about as well. So um, really um, nicely rounded off couple of uh, presentations. So thank you very much. Thanks again to Will. Great presentation there. Lots of learning. And we actually had quite a lot of follow-up questions for Will after that presentation. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Pledge Consult, and you can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Watch out for next week's episode, where again, we'll be looking back on the symposium with another one of our great speakers. See you next time.